who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to Vulgar History, Season 2, Episode 2. My name is Anne Foster, and this is a feminist women's history comedy podcast. I don't know why I made there be so many words in explaining what it is, but I think I've explained it properly in every episode so far. So in Season 1, we were looking at uh, women who who made history by quote-unquote misbehaving, which is sort of like also not quote-unquote misbehaving because several of them did murder people. This season, we're looking at women leaders and how men complained and were freaked out about it and how it's not so different from nowadays when women leaders are still much more rare than men leaders. And men and women and just anyone living in the patriarchy still kind of freaks out about women leaders for exactly the same reasons they did 2,000 years ago. So last week's episode we looked at Cleopatra and this week we're looking, we're kind of going chronologically this season. Last season was kind of like random people, well not random, like people I chose but I sort of put them in in order of, um, I don't know, the order that seemed to work best but this season I think what's going to work best is going chronologically so you can kind of see the development of how how women leaders were seen and accepted and treated throughout several centuries of western history and how so little has changed and it's all really depressing actually but what's not depressing is a scandalous story and today we're going to be looking at the story of agrippina the younger who is called that because her mother was also called Agrippina. Agrippina the Elder was her mother. And this takes place in ancient Rome. So Agrippina was born November 6th in the year 15, like plus 15. So when we were looking at Cleopatra, she was in the before common era, 
scenario. Agrippina is a bit later on. So just to sort of put us in the place in time. So Cleopatra was fighting against Emperor or the guy who would become Emperor Augustus, a.k.a. Octavian, when he was sort of like in his teens slash early 20s. Agrippina is the granddaughter. Um, granddaughter? Yes, granddaughter of Augustus. So he was quite a lot older. So just kind of Agrippina and Cleopatra were never alive at the same time, but they're not like so far apart that people in the story wouldn't have known Cleopatra and been around for that whole situation, which you can hear about in last week's episode. So this week we are looking at Agrippina. So her full name was Julia Agrippina Minor because, and I have not done a lot of studying and research of ancient Rome. I kind of did a crash course to prepare for this podcast episode, but it seems to me that everyone who is female in ancient Rome had the first name Julia, but no one actually went by the name Julia is kind of how it seems. So she's mostly written about as Agrippina. And I also want to mention that the main source I'm using for this podcast is the amazing biography of Agrippina by Emma Southern, which is, it's got two different titles. So in some markets, I think in the UK, the book is called Agrippina, Empress, Exile, Hustler, Whore. In North America, it's got a much more tame title, which is Agrippina, the Most Extraordinary Woman of the Roman World. The book is amazing. It's very much kind of like, I've never before read a, a history book that so much feels like something I myself could have written, like in the best possible way. I feel such a kinship to this book, um, the way that she puts in jokes and asides and like makes fun of historically powerful men and... um just the, the very casual conversational way that it's written is amazing. I And it's also superbly well-researched. So I'm using this book as my source. She uses as her source numerous people who were writing in ancient Roman times. And you can read her full bibliography for what all of her sources are. But basically, just bear in mind that all of the sources she used, like all the sources that exist about Agrippina, were basically men who really didn't like her and wanted to make her seem as awful as possible, not unlike Cleopatra. So some of the stuff in this story probably did happen. Some of it might be exaggerated. Some of it might be totally made up. But just like imagine the word allegedly before almost everything I'm about to tell you, because we can't really go back and fact check. But there's some it's like we know when she was born. We know when certain events happened, but a lot of it we're just kind of filling in the gaps based on what these men who hated her claimed had happened. So other than births and deaths, the dates of, everything is kind of like, here's a story. And you kind of get a sense of who she was and what she was like. The details here or there, no one can ever truly verify, really. So, okay. Agrippina. Julia Agrippina Minor, aka Agrippina the Younger, was born November 6th in the year 15. She was the fourth surviving child and the first daughter born to two extremely important and popular Roman people. So her mother, Vipsania Agrippina, aka Agrippina the Elder, was the daughter of two really important Roman people. Um, her father was Agrippa, who was a really popular and um, important statesman. And her mother was Julia the Elder, who was the daughter of Emperor Augustus. So Agrippina's mother is descended through her mother to Emperor Augustus, which I guess makes our Agrippina the great-granddaughter of Augustus. So that's 
that's the spread of time. Sorry, I said grandfather before. It's like everyone has the same names and are all married to each other. This is not the first mistake I'm going to make regarding how people are related to each other because it's just like the family tree. Instead of a tree, it's just kind of like a bundle of sticks that's just like thrown haphazardly on the ground like and then bundled back together. It's There's a lot of intermarrying, but what is important here to know <laughs> effectively is that our Agrippina, Agrippina the Younger, was descended very directly through her mother to Emperor Augustus, who was a super long-standing emperor of Rome. Um, he was made a god, like everybody respected him super a lot. Her father was named Germanicus, and he was the nephew of the person who's the emperor when the story begins, who is Emperor Tiberius, who, so basically Tiberius is the uncle of our Agrippina. So she's the niece of the current emperor, and she's also the um, great-granddaughter of famous Emperor Augustus, basically. Um, so she's descended on both sides from basically emperors, even though there's still this thing in Rome where they're like, we're technically still a republic. Like, we don't have one person who's the emperor. It's more just like he's elected and everyone just agrees to keep him the emperor forever. This sort of like pretend democracy. Again, not my area of expertise, but basically it's a situation where everybody loved Augustus, everybody loved Germanicus. So our Agrippina and her sibling and group, her whole family were just sort of beloved, sort of like in a when they were little kids, like William and Harry were beloved because Diana was beloved. Like, it's that same sort of thing. Like, people just reflect the popular parents onto the younger kids. Anyway, so her parents, Agrippina the Elder and Germanicus, were the it couple of Roman history at the time. Agrippina the Elder was doing exactly what a uh, Roman ma- woman was expected and wanted to do. And the, so everybody loved her for that. She was a wife. She was a mother. She was devoted to both to both duties, while well, Germanicus was super handsome and a very successful military leader, to the point that when he was born, his name wasn't Germanicus. His name got changed to Germanicus in recognition of how well he did conquering parts of Germany for the Roman Empire. And actually, Agrippina, today's heroine, was born while the whole family was in Germany for invasion-related reasons. She was born in a Roman outpost um, located on the Rhine River near modern-day Cologne, Germany. So she was born amid the battlefield, basically, to these um, very popular and successful parents. So the family headed back to Rome a little while later, and Germanicus was hailed as a hero in a major triumphant parade slash festival. So this is, these parades, it's not just like, you know, the Thanksgiving parade or whatever. This is like days-long festival, like everybody came there, like they paraded through everywhere, like... It was a massive celebration, so Agrippina would be a little toddler, seeing just exactly how much the city loved her whole family. Um, Germanicus died just a few years later, though, seemingly of natural causes, but um, everyone in this story dies of maybe being murdered, and he is one of them, basically. So he died, and the city mourned in like a massive scale, like again, sort of like princess diana's death scale just like mounds of flowers just like everybody like weeping like everyone was so devastated because he was so popular and so beloved um so it seemed like he maybe died of diseases because he was like traveling around a lot doing battles in a period of time well before antibiotics 
But his wife, Agrippina the Elder, was pretty sure that he had probably been murdered by Tiberius, who was both Germanicus's uncle and also adoptive father. So his uncle father, Emperor Tiberius. This is entirely possible. Who knows? But um, basically, it also makes sense that Agrippina the Elder would assume murder because basically her entire family had been murdered, mostly by each other, like her brothers, her parents, her aunts and uncles. I mean, it makes sense, like, to her, like, that's the normal way most people die, is from interfamily murder. So, um, what happened is that Germanicus died while he was away, um, and Agrippina, our, our Agrippina, was a little kid staying in Rome with her, her other little siblings, and her mother sailed into town from being away with with her husband and she did sort of like a grief parade so it's sort of like this sad version of the triumph parade that happened before um she reunited with her daughter agrippina and her other children and everybody like everybody in rome was just like freaking out about germanicus being dead he was like their number one favorite person they were like pushing over statues smashing dishes like screaming and these like grief riots like killing themselves like everybody was was really affected by the death of germanicus and so agrippina our little agrippina who at this point was a little girl she had been again paraded through town um seeing how everybody loved her father so much how she and her family were sort of special sort of different from everybody else and this really doesn't change too much over the course of this whole story which is like decades and decades basically the people of rome loved her parents so much ergo they loved her and her siblings so much and um she kind of saw herself as special and different and better than everybody else and basically the way they treated like she kind of was in a way so we move now into the phase of her life where she is a half orphan her father is dead um, and she's being raised by sort of a squad of powerful women so including her mother, Agrippina the Elder, her father's mother, Antonia Minor, and her great-grandmother, Livia Drusilla, who was the widow of Augustus. And if you watch I, Claudius, the old um, masterpiece theater show, and there's, side note, a new podcast just started called I, Podius, where these two men are watching and discussing episodes of I, Claudius, and I'm really excited about it because I'm very into Roman history at the moment. Anyway, Livia in I, Claudius is this just like ideal Roman woman. Again, she's a devoted wife and mother. She also seemed to have been really um, proficient at poison, poisoning people and murdering people and being ambitious and pretty badass. So basically, Agrippina, this little girl, is being raised by these like very powerful women who had basically thrived as best as they could in the wildly murderous patriarchy that they'd all been born into. Um, and almost immediately, Agrippina got to watch her mother flex her power in in a number of different ways. So this is also just crucial. So like she's a little girl and these formative events are basically being worshipped by all of Rome and watching her the, these influential women in her life um, sort of sidestep the fact that in ancient Rome, uh, women had no rights. They couldn't own land they couldn't have their own money they couldn't vote they were basically property they couldn't go outside unless they were escorted by a male relative they were um i just keep thinking of it i know i read this somewhere and i forget where but basically landowners would own you know a house and maybe some chickens and maybe some daughters and maybe a wife and those were all sort of the same 
the same to them, basically. So, but Agrippine was watching these three powerful women um, find their own way to to have power and to be powerful in a situation where that wasn't expected. So that was kind of, to her, that became normal. That became what she figured out her life would be like as well. So the thing to bear in mind here is that the emperor, who is her uncle, Tiberius, um, was awful. Or no, her great, no. Oh my God, this family tree. Great uncle. Great uncle. So the emperor is the great uncle. His name is Tiberius. He is, was a really shitty emperor and not in the way that other emperors were going to maybe talk about in the story were really shitty emperors but more in the sense of he just kind of pieced out of the whole thing um he was really serious and really stoic and had sort of hermit-like tendencies to just run away and not want to engage with people and hide and not be emperor a lot of the time which is a totally totally fine way for a person to be if that's what you're like. Um, but it's not the best way to be if you were the Roman emperor at this point in time. So if you will recall, Agrippina's mother and others were pretty sure Tiberius had been responsible for the murder of Germanicus, who might have also just died of like, you know, getting a cut infected. Anyway, um, so Agrippina's mother basically was just like, she blamed Tiberius for the death of her husband and she just sort of started running around and seizing as much power and influence as she could to try and destroy Tiberius while Tiberius just sort of hid away on an island, not wanting to be emperor, basically. And this was the next sort of 15 years this sort of power play went on. So basically, this comprised much of the childhood and young adolescence of Agrippina the Younger. So in the midst of all of this... Um, Agrippina the Younger was married at age 14 to a man named Gnaeus Domitius Ahenobarbus, and that's three different words. And his last name, Ahenobarbus, means bronze beard, which means he had red hair, and their son that she's going to have with him later also has red hair. So I'm just like, as a red hair person myself, I'm always excited to encounter red hair people in stories. Anyway, we're going to call her husband Domitius, because that is what most people called him back then. He was about 20 years older than her which wasn't weird for that time and or place. They were also related, which wasn't weird either. Um, they were distantly enough related that it wasn't a weird thing. Um, spoiler, she's going to later have another husband who's much more closely related, and that was treated as weird. So Domitius's mother was Agrippina's great-grand-aunt Octavia, who was the sister of Augustus and the previous wife of Mark Anthony, which just like a bunch of important people. He's an important person. He's a lot older than Agrippina. And he also has, is connected through blood relations to the beloved Emperor Augustus. So basically they became the new it couple. Um, Domitius was a high ranking official. He was extremely rich. Um, and he was also, according to literally every source who ever wrote about him, a really heinous and awful person. Um, for instance, one time he apparently killed a slave because the slave was less drunk than Domitius was, and that bothered him. Um, another time he ripped out a man's eye because he felt that the man had been rude to him. Um, he also apparently um, would seduce and or assault most women he ever met with or without their consent. So basically he was awful. Um, Agrippina was 14 and that is the husband that she 
landed with, but basically she lived through a pretty chaotic 14 years so far, and I'm sure that her her mother and her female relatives maybe gave her some advice about how to not be murdered by this horrible person she was married to. And so basically, so the feud between her mother and the emperor continued. Um, the whole thing was just like over the top, melodramatic, wildly interesting, and we don't have time to get into all of it. But basically, it culminates with the emperor runs away to Capri, um, the island of Capri, and never returns. Um, Agrippina was accused of incest. Um, some people actually maybe had incest. Side note on incest, which is basically, it was a thing that people in ancient Roman times seemed to accuse each other of a lot. Not necessarily because it was happening a lot, but because it was kind of the grossest, worst thing you could say about a person. So there's just like a lot of people in the story are going to be accusing a lot of other people of incest. There probably wasn't actually that much incest happening, I'm guessing, because it seems like it was such a social taboo that it was like accusing someone of it, like destroyed their whole life or you wanted it to destroy their whole life. So probably it wasn't a thing people were up to. Anyway, a lot of dramatic things happened. Um, Agrippina's mother and her two older brothers had all at various points been sent into exile, put in prison, and all three of them, I believe, had all died by suicide to avoid being murdered by Tiberius, basically. Um, the only surviving family members Agrippina had at this point um, were her brother Gaius, who was off living in exile in Capri with Emperor Tiberius because he was maybe sort of his heir. Um, and two other sisters, Drusilla and Livilla. And then everything, the next major plot twist happens in the year 37. Tiberius finally died, and Agrippina's brother Gaius was named the new emperor. Um, Gaius was his, his birth name, but you might know him better by his nickname, which was Little Boots, or as it is said in Latin, Caligula. So Caligula was Agrippina's younger brother and the oldest slash only surviving boy in her particular branch of this very messy family tree. Um, I guess this is just a little side note on Caligula to explain kind of what's about to happen, which is just a lot of interesting things. Um, so Caligula had spent some time in jail when their mother was sent to jail slash exile. Um, and then when she died, he went to live with Agrippina and his two other sisters, Drusilla and Lavilla, in the care of the, in the household of just like mighty women in this like, oh, what's the thing called? Um, just this house of super powerful badass women, basically. It's sort of steel magnolias, but ancient Rome scenario. Um, so the thing is that, so Tiberius saw Caligula as basically the guy who was going to be probably emperor after him, but Tiberius was also really paranoid about someone trying to steal the throne away from him, um, because everybody constantly was. So is that paranoia when it's true? Anyway, so to keep Caligula from being able to emerge and like take over before Tiberius died slash kill Tiberius, uh, Tiberius arranged it so that Caligula would be treated like a little boy way longer than most people were then. So there's a whole thing where Sort of like a bar mitzvah scenario where a little Roman boy would finally get his toga for the first time. And when you get your toga, there's like a toga ceremony. And it's like at that point, it's like you are a man. I think you could like vote at that point. And this happened when people were like, I don't know, 14, 15, 16. Um, but Caligula was not allowed to do this. Um, he was sent to live with Tiberius on his like hermit island in Capri 
where Caligula stayed from ages 19 till 27. Presumably he got his toga at some point in there, but it's still very embarrassing. And so he was raised away from Rome, away from the Senate, away from learning how to be the emperor, away from learning how to be an adult person, um, all of which to say what happened during his reign isn't entirely his own fault. He'd been kind of set up to fail in a lot of ways. But at the beginning, everybody in Rome was really excited for Caligula to take over because no one had ever really liked Tiberius because he was not a very good emperor, what with the like running away and hiding all the time. Caligula was still, um, he was the son of Germanicus. He was the daughter of Agrippina the Elder. He was the son from this beloved family that they had had all these parades for. And so everyone was excited to have just like a young emperor. Um, Tiberius had been 77 when he died. So just like this new young energy from this like beloved royal family. So Rome was super excited. Um, they welcomed him and his three sisters back to Rome, basically. And everyone thought everything kind of seems pretty great. Um, but um, Caligula, even though he hadn't been raised being groomed to be the emperor or know how to be a politician, etc., he knew from just growing up in this situation that um, people could take away your power at any moment. And he needed to sort of find reasons for people to keep believing in him and for people to not turn on him. And so he, knowing how popular his parents were and his family was, so he sort of elevated his three sisters to be like, look, it's me and my three sisters. You loved our parents. We're these young, cool people. So Caligula, Agrippina, Drusilla, and Lavilla were sort of a reminder of their father who everybody had loved but also of their ancestors um emperor augustus and even julius caesar so they were just kind of like see we have this bloodline like look at us we're this family you love us um caligula had not married at this point he didn't have his own children so basically he needed his sisters there with him to present himself as like a family man sort of person so he granted his three sisters the same rights as the vestal virgins which the Vestal Virgins is a whole other thing. I don't entirely have the ability to explain to you right now, but basically they were women with, they had the most rights of everybody in Rome. They had rights that other women didn't have. Um, basically, they were able to make independent decisions about their lives without requiring the permission of a male relative. Their bodies were seen as sacred. Touching them was punishable with death. Um, so Caligula gave those same rights to his three sisters. Basically, no Roman women in history, including the wives and mothers of previous emperors, had any had this amount of autonomy or power. So his three sisters were just like elevated to this extent that was had no precedent. Basically, um, every day at the start of Senate or whenever somebody was introducing like a new bill or whatever into Senate, the men did sort of like the Pledge of Allegiance where they say, like, I promise to honor the emperor. And also, I think we should raise minimum wage or whatever. So Caligula changed the wording of this. So every time people said that, they had to say, I promise to honor the emperor and his three beloved sisters. So the three sisters were sort of they weren't present in Senate because women couldn't be there. But um, they were seen as almost basically equally as important as the emperor. Uh, Caligula had coins made. There's a lot of like big moves made vis-a-vis -vis coins in the story. So he had coins made with his face and name on one side, which was like the normal thing. Usually on the other side was a picture of like a god who the emperor wanted to be like or a picture of him like an action shot or something. But he put on the other side of the coin his three sisters posing like goddesses. And this was the first time 
that living Roman women had ever been put on coins. Dead Roman women had been, like people's beloved dead mothers and things. And this is the first visual proof that Agrippina herself was a person. Um, so she was a little tiny image on the back of a coin shared with her with her siblings. And then um, this is a podcast about Agrippina, not a podcast about Caligula. Perhaps he would be a good topic for a future episode of my Patreon-only spin-off podcast, So This Asshole, to get into all the messy stuff that he did. But basically, a bunch of stuff happened really quickly, and we're just kind of looking at how it affected Agrippina. Basically, so towards the end of Caligula's first year as emperor, several important things happened. So firstly, he fell ill of something and retreated from public life for several months. Everybody was really worried he might die. He did not, but he had to retreat for a bit. Um, Agrippina gave birth to her first child around this time. It was a son with red hair who she named basically the same name as her husband, Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. Um, a few attempts were made while Caligula was recuperating during his illness. Other people tried to take over. Um, and at this point, Caligula began his ongoing habit of murdering people who he thought were trying to take over from him. Um, and around the same time, a bunch... So it's sort of like the PR was flipping. Like at first, it's like, yay, this young man, we love him. We love his sisters because the parents were great. This is awesome. But then it started to seem like, oh, this Caligula guy is maybe not quite as awesome as we had thought. But also people at this point were like, ooh, we want to usurp him and have somebody else take over instead. So how can they ruin his name? Rumors of incest. So rumors started to, to spread around that Caligula and was having sex with his sisters. Um, and he didn't help calm these rumors down by behaving increasingly erratically and losing his shit an awful lot. Um, so he did stuff like smashing pottery, um, replacing governors of important colonies randomly with random people running away like Tiberius to just like meditate by himself on an island, um, stop shaving his beard and basically murdering anyone who looked at him funny. So he became a little, little bit of a tyrant, tyrant type issue happening. And for reasons we don't know, because unfortunately the records we have that mention Agrippina don't mention this detail, in the year 39 Caligula exiled his sister Agrippina for conspiring against him along with her other sister Livilla. Um, note that the third sister Drusilla had died one year before this happened, which might be part of what caused Caligula's psychological breakdown. Um, anyway, so there's two sisters left. Agrippina and Livilla and Caligula just... Um, exiled them both because he thought they were scheming against him. And this is uh, a whole complicated thing. We don't need to get into to understand the effect of on Agrippina's life. But basically, the plot was that Agrippina, her sister and her sister's husband were, well, firstly, Caligula was like, and they're all having sex with each other. Incest. Um, and also he accused that they were trying to raise an army to try and remove him from power. And at this point, it's like, who could blame them if they were trying to do that? He was not doing the best of jobs. Um, at this point, also Caligula had his own son, which was maybe Agrippina was a bit jealous or nervous about that because she had her own son and she really wanted her son to become the next emperor. But Caligula's son would maybe become emperor instead. So some tension between the two of them. Also, Agrippina was really smart and knew what she was doing. Caligula did not know what he was doing. So Agrippina at this point is age 24 
and she was sent in exile but it's not like oh no living in like a little prison tent or whatever she's living in a luxury villa on the island of Pontia. um she had a household of slaves a personal bodyguard and just kind of had a year to i mean it would have upset her obviously to be away from rome unable to scheme unable to know what people were saying about her knowing that at any second her brother could change his mind and kill her but also she had some time to just like make some plans and just like practice her swimming and i'm not joking because we learn later she was a really good swimmer so i think she's probably practicing her swimming um but then in the year 41 so i think she was there for about a year or so caligula was assassinated it seems like that's how most people stop being emperor in my limited research at this point. Anyway, Caligula died of murder and their uncle Claudius was named the new Roman emperor. So Claudius was the brother of their father, Germanicus. So he basically did a military coup and usurped power and then went back and was like, delete from the historical record the events of this past two days. So that happened and then it was kind of like, and one day Claudius was the emperor and Caligula was dead that's weird who knows what happened um so one and what also seemed to happen a lot too is when a new person took over as emperor especially in this violent sort of way they would undo what their predecessor had done to try and show like look i'm different i'm changing the way things are so one of the first things claudius did was he released agrippina from exile and invited her to join him back in rome so she came back to rome basically um and what happened next is that so she's 25 years old she is reunited with her son um who hadn't been in exile with her so i'm sure that was very upsetting for her so her son was four years old she was 25 oh and her husband also died so she was also a widow as well um and just quick side note about claudius is that he was 50 years old um had barely held any political positions before he seems to have had some sort of like quirky personality traits that the people in Rome didn't much care for and also might have had some physical disabilities um he apparently had a limp um he would like drool sometimes maybe like so people if you watch I Claudius um which again it's a great and interesting way to learn all of these crazy rumors um he everybody in I Claudius assumed he was an idiot because he had a stutter an limp, but actually he was the smartest of them all. That's an Claudius. In real life, I don't know if he was actually secretly super smart, but he was definitely underestimated and had some sort of physical things going on with his body that made people um, not respect him as much as others. But he was the emperor, so fuck you. Basically, um, Claudius was really suspicious of everybody, which makes sense because he himself had just killed his nephew in a military coup and everyone his whole life was always killing each other so the only people he trusted were his own freed slaves like former people who were former enslaved people who he had freed known as freedmen um so he sort of elevated them to be his advisors and his family members were other people he trusted uh and then again and he had a new wife who he trusted which is like oh god okay so his new wife was a teenager named Messalina, and she had had a son named Britannicus, who became the emperor's... Everyone assumed that would be probably the next emperor after Claudius, which again, Agrippina would be like, ooh, I wanted my son to be the next emperor, then Messalina had this son. 
Oh, and he was named Britannicus because um, Claudius was the one, he was the emperor at the time that Rome invaded Britain and started colonizing over there. So the son's name at first wasn't Brit- Britannicus and was changed to Britannicus, sort of like Agrippina's father's name was changed to Germanicus after he um, conquered some areas over there. Um, oh, and then also uh, Claudius pretty shortly after taking over, executed Agrippina's only remaining sibling, her sister Lavilla, for the usual random reasons, basically scheming, potential adultery, who knows at this point, but basically Agrippina, age 26, the only surviving member of her entire family, basically, both of her parents were dead, Um, all of her brothers were dead, both of her sisters were dead, she was still alive. And I don't think that's an accident because she just really knew her shit and she knew what she was doing. So she took a new husband after she came back to Rome and her new husband had an even longer name than the first husband. He's four names. Gaius Salistius Crispus Passienus. He was vaguely related to her because everybody is vaguely related to everybody else. It's sort of like the Kardashian Jenners had did whole thing. Fosters in a way. Anyway, um, so her new husband, we'll call him Crispus. I'm just choosing one of his four names that's easiest for me to pronounce. So he was her former brother-in-law, meaning he had been previously married to Agrippina's first husband's sister, um, which I think makes him the least actually related to her out of all of her husbands. Spoiler. Um, He sounds like total upgrade personality-wise from her first husband in the sense of he was like a pretty straight-up guy. Um, he's known for making jokes, getting along with everybody. Um, the fact that no one had murdered him to this point spoke well of him as a person. Um, he's not known for ripping out the eyes of people who look at him funny. But he was a step down for Agrippina in the sense of he was not as important as her first husband. And he was also friends with Claudius. So the whole thing was kind of like the emperor just like giving his friend a gift, which was marriage to his niece. But also it was sort of like... Claudius wanted to use some of Agrippina's still leftover rock star popularity. Like, her whole family had been murdered slash killed themselves slash, like, the the family was still so beloved. And I think that was a lot of what was keeping Agrippina from being murdered at this point. So Claudius just wanted to hitch himself close to her star. Um, But also he didn't want her to get too powerful because she could maybe usurp him and maybe her son would take over. Everyone is just suspicious of everybody else for great reasons, murder, murder reasons. So Claudius literally got Agrippina out of his way by sending her and her husband off to Asia, um, where they lived as a year while Crispus served as the governor. Uh, They returned to Rome and a couple of very suspicious things happen, such as um, Passianus, sorry, Crispus, her husband, wrote a new will that made Agrippina the sole beneficiary of his estate, and then he suddenly died. And if this was an episode of Murder, she wrote, we'd all be like, ooh, okay. Like, you change your will to leave it all to your wife, and then you die? Is like, she probably killed him. I mean, right? Right? Um, but basically, Crispus got a super public funeral, um, another, like, triumph march, etc. Agrippina got to be in yet another parade, this time but now she's 28 which is just like so young what an eventful life she's a double widow she's a single mother um she's the only living descendant of julius caesar and augustus um and everybody still still just fucking loves her 
basically. Um, and then five years pass. So there's rumors that she killed her husband so she could marry someone else, but she didn't marry someone else. So that's where it's like, did she kill her husband? Unclear. Um, she's going to maybe kill some other people. So this is where people are tracking back and maybe trying to see where, where she started practicing murders. But anyway, five years pass. Um, during this time, she was maybe hanging out like in one of the other villas that she had inherited from her rich dead husband, uh, maybe practicing her swimming some more. And But basically during these five years, Claudius's wife, Messalina, went from being a teenager to being 20. Um, and she sort of took over as the number one most talked about Roman woman. And I can't avoid talking about Messalina because this is, it affects Agrippina, but also it's just like, oh my God. So Messalina was the third wife of Claudius. Um, she was 18 when she married him, when he was 50, when he was the emperor. Um, she was also in some random way descended from Augustus, etc., um, which made her a, a good wife for Claudius because she was more directly descended from them. And the whole thing was everybody like you were more beloved, the more directly descended you were from Augustus, basically. Um, so they had a daughter named Octavia. They had their son, Britannicus. Um, there hadn't been... Messalina and Agrippina feuded a lot, um, I think, largely because they both really wanted their own sons to become the emperor next, but also they were just like both really opinionated, strong-minded women. Um, they were both really ruthless. There was a lot of scheming. Um, similar to Agrippina, a lot of stuff written about Almost everything written about Messalina actually was written after her death and it was sort of defamatory because of people saw what happened to her, but also because she had a lot of enemies. So there's a lot of sexy scandals about her, um, like that she had, that she lived in a, in a whorehouse and like was a sex worker and like challenged another sex worker to a contest to see who could have sex with the most men in a row and like lots of stuff that's included in I, Claudius, the the miniseries if you want to watch that how much of it is true i don't know but what the weirdest story about her is the one that is true which is basically she had a lover who was not her much older husband and when claudius was out of town messalina decided to marry her lover in a public ceremony so it's not even like a secret sexy marriage it was like everyone knew about it claudius obviously found out about it um and had her executed along with eight men suspected of helping her out and like why in the the biography of Agrippina the one by Emma Southern she sort of theorizes it's almost like a slow motion suicide like Messalina would have known that this wasn't going to turn out so like what was she doing I don't know but Claudius had her name erased from all historical records and monuments like she'd never existed sort of like how when he took over in a military coup, he had all records of those two days deleted. Claudius was just all about um, erasing public record. Anyway, less than three months later, Claudius took a new wife, who was Agrippina, who is, yes, his niece. So that's what happened. Um, despite the fact that people in here were marrying their, like, second cousin once removed, or, like, someone who they share a great-great-grandmother with, like, for an uncle to marry a niece was basically as fucked up in ancient Rome as it would be if someone did that now. Um, everyone thought it was weird, um, inappropriate, gross. Because um, remember, this is a culture where when you really wanted to 
to say something bad about somebody else. You would accuse them of incest. Like incest was like the worst thing you could accuse somebody of. And this like was incest. Um, so if we set aside the fact that they're related, let's just look at like, how does this make sense as a match, basically? So Claudius, age 59, um, Agrippina is what, like 32, I think. Um, so she, w- she was a descendant of Augustus, which is always a benefit. Claudius wanted to ally himself with that family as, as possible. Um, she was also still very popular because of her super popular parents, and everybody remembered that. Um, her son was also more directly descended from Augustus than Claudius's son was, so he would maybe, that could be a selling point as well. She's also rich and smart, um, very capable, and clearly a really cool person. Um, and what was in it for her was that, well, she'd be the wife of the emperor, which basically elevates her to as much power as she could possibly get. Um, she'd always grown up with a sense that she was better than everyone and destined for great things. And this might've seemed like basically her best chance to like seize onto that, um, and get the power that she felt like she deserved for who she was. Um, it would also, she would assume, um, cement the future for her son and she had always been sort of like Margaret Beaufort was in the Tudor era just like she was all about clearing the way so her son could have as much power as possible so and also Claudius was older than her so she might think you know I'll be married to him for a bit but then eventually I'll hopefully be the emperor's mother which was also a still a pretty powerful position or it could be it had been um, for other people before her so basically it wasn't legal Like, it was illegal for an uncle and a niece to get married because incest reasons. But Claudia sort of manipulated the Senate to change the law to allow this weird, gross marriage to happen. Um, And he did it in such a way that it almost seems like the Senate ended up being like, please, Claudius, won't you marry her? And it was whatever. They got married on January 1st in the year 49. Um... But even though the law had been changed, everyone, like, I just want to emphasize, it wasn't like, it wasn't like with the Cleopatra story where it's just like, brothers and sisters got married, whatever, that's just what happened. Like, in Rome, this is, like, really fucking weird. Um, Claudius's former best friend, Solanus, um, killed himself the day of the wedding to sort of make a point that this was, like, really fucking gross thing to do. Um, but get married, they did. And then three things happened quite quickly, um, which were... That Claudius formally adopted Agrippina's son, changed his name to Nero, um, and married Nero off to Claudius's daughter Octavia. So it was like a double marriage. Like the two parents got married, and then their kids got married to each other. And it's just a big old incest bath bomb. I don't know. Um, Agrippina um, demanded that a man named Seneca, who was a famous sort of philosopher person who had been exiled by Caligula, um, Agrippina demanded that he be returned to be Nero's new tutor because he was like the smartest person and she wanted the best tutor for her son. Um, and a woman named Lolia Paulina was accused of witchcraft, sent into exile, and died. This part I'm going to explain a bit. Why does that matter? So Lolia Paulina was a woman who had been briefly married to Caligula. He had several wives. He kept getting bored of them and getting new wives. When Claudius was looking for a new wife after the whole Messalina scenario, um, Lolia Paulina had been suggested as maybe a possible woman that he could marry, but he of course married his niece instead. And this is again where it's like allegedly um, did Agrippina conspire to kill Lolia Paulina to remove her as a rival for her uncle slash husband? 
maybe, basically, but this is sort of um, another rumored person that perhaps Agrippina was responsible for killing. Anyway, um, after one year of marriage, Claudius had Agrippina, he gave her the title Augusta. So remember, Octavian became Augustus. So Augusta was a title that kind of meant not quite empress, but basically a huge honor. Um, Agrippina was only the third woman in history to be given this title. Um, and it was the first time that the title was given to the living wife of the current emperor. So this title had been previously given to the mother of the emperor and a dead mother of the em another emperor, I think. Basically, this title meant that she was more or less on equal standing with Claudius, the emperor. No woman in Western history had ever had this much power before in terms of like her role in the, in the empire and how big the empire was, basically. Um, she also didn't just, she was involved in things. Like she was an active figure who sat beside her husband during business meetings. Like she helped run things. She wasn't just like decorative. Like she was actually in there getting shit done. Um, for instance, in the year 50, she founded a new Roman colony um, in the place near where she had been born in Germany. So the city or the colony was originally called Colonia Claudia Ara Agrippinensium, which is a long name. And so people started calling it Colonia Agrippinensium, then later just Colonia. And now it's called Cologne and it's still a city in Germany. So she was the patron of this colony. And it was a place where um, like retired military people would go to live and she, you know, paid money to improve things there, install, you know, the Roman famous sewage systems, etc. Um, the, the Romans lived apparently like pretty multiculturally with the indigenous Yubi people who were in the area already. And it was a, a successful little colony. And then more coin related news. So she was placed in a coin opposite her husband in the year 50. So when she had been on the coin with Caligula on one side, it was her and her sisters on the other side. And but this time it was her and Claudius. And it was kind of like the two faces both facing the same way. His face was in front and hers was behind. But she was on the front of a coin. So that's the first time ever a woman had been on a coin like that. Um, she also commissioned statues made in her likeness that were wearing a diadem, which is a specific kind of crown slash tiara that no living Roman woman had ever been shown to wear in a piece of art. So she was just like ensuring that like artistically, culturally, like in every possible level, like people were reminded all the time she was really fucking important. So the next three years continued um, more of the same until uh, Caligula died in the year 54. Um, and an awful lot of people suspected that Agrippina had murdered him. Why was that? So partially it's sort of the Messalina thing again where people she had enemies and so the enemies like to spread rumors about her that weren't true that made her look bad because they wanted her to have less power so and especially like her Agrippina she had so much power so much power no woman had ever had this much power before it really bothered a lot of men so she had a lot of enemies um and so they were spreading rumors about stuff like Agrippina was too masculine, um, that she was having sex with lots of men, like she was a whore, um, she was scheming too much, she wanted to destroy the Roman Empire, etc., etc. Um, basically, but also a lot of people were murdering a lot of people. So anytime somebody died, like if the emperor died, it's sort of like, um, if your first guess is he was murdered, you're probably right, basically, looking at statistically. 
So Claudius was 63 years old when he died, um, and he had been sick. He had various medical conditions, seemingly, but also it sounds like, so there's a woman called Locusta who had was a poisoner. She had been in jail. Um, so she was a convicted poisoner. Um, so side note on Locusta. So she was apparently a woman who was born in present-day France, uh, was a peasant. She became a master botanist and herbalist and quickly deduced that Rome, with all the nefarious deeds being carried out by the aristocracy, was the place to make her fortune as a master poisoner. So she became so well-known for her skill that she was identified as just Locusta the Poisoner. So she was arrested twice for poisoning people, but she was... Um, arrested a third time and Agrippina actually is the one who released her but Agrippina said like I'll release you but you need to also do me a favor and that favor is you need to help me poison my husband uncle the emperor to death so the problem is that um so they wanted to poison him to death Claudius really liked mushrooms so but he had a food taster obviously because everybody was trying to kill everybody all the time so what they did was Locusta made sure that the personal assistant, the food taster, was busy that day. Um, Agrippina would distract Claudius with lots of wine so he wouldn't notice that his food taster is not there. And then they served mushrooms, which were his most favorite thing to eat. Um, basically, he started having physical symptoms of poisoning. Um, allegedly, um, a doctor was was summoned to help out the emperor to save him, but Locusta and what they were doing was in a time before what's it called Ipecac. Um, so they stuck a feather down his throat to make him throw up. But Locusta had already put poison on the feather and he died. And that's an amazing story. So he also could have died of natural causes. Who knows? Um, there's another version of this event that Claudius ate the mushrooms um, and then and felt sick. So then to tr Agrippina offered him some porridge to try and settle his stomach, but there was poison in the porridge as well. One way or another, the emperor had died and no one could find his will. Again, it's like an Agrippina-related story where it's like, what? No one can find the will? That's not suspicious at all. But she was like, don't worry. He told me what he wants, and he wants Nero to become the next emperor instead of Britannicus. And everyone was like, okay. So she was now three times a widow, and now the mother of the emperor, and the emperor was Nero. So where things get complicated here is that basically she was amazing. She got everything she ever wanted, but the, the problem is that her son was really shitty. So it's very much like Cersei and Joffrey in Game of Thrones in the sense of like Agrippina was so smart, so clever. She would have been an amazing emperor on her own, but it was a society in which that was not possible. So instead, she has to sit and watch her son be an asshole and ruin everything, basically. So Nero, age 16, was the new emperor. And unlike uh, Caligula or even Claudius, he'd actually been taught how to do this from a very young age. Um, having grown up in Rome, um, being taught what to do. He had alliances with like army people and other people. Like, so he's in a pretty good position. But the problem is that he actually wanted to be an actor slash singer and not emperor so personality wise it was not great fit um and for the first little while agrippina was sort of unofficially like his regent so he was 16 you know he had his toga he was a man but she had done a really good job sort of running things with claudius um if you look at claudius's reign actually 
on almost everything you can measure things just got better once he married Agrippina. So it seems like she was able to kind of jump in and just handle the books better. Just like her help was really helpful. So I think she thought she could kind of do the same stuff for Nero, who was still just a little kid. Um, And for the first little while, they're always together. Like when he made an appearance somewhere, she'd be with him just like she had been with Claudius. So she also suggested um, that she'd be allowed to attend Senate meetings, which not like in person, that's crazy. She's a woman. Um, but she asked like if she could stand behind a curtain and like listen in on the Senate meetings, which was more than any woman had been able to do before. And before this, what she had to do was rely on second secondhand information about who had said what and what went on. But now she could actually like listen in. Um, and then there was more coins drama. Um, she had some new coins commissioned. So this time, like she'd share the one with Claudius where they're both facing the same way, but his face was on top. The new coins that she had done was her and Nero on the front of the coin facing each other. So both of their faces were there in full. So again, like she just kept breaking new ground for like women having power. Um, It was all, and I don't mean this in like, she should have done more, like, but it was all very self-serving. Like she wanted herself to have this power. She wasn't like, I want to make it so the women who follow me will also have all these advantages. Like that wasn't her deal at all. She wasn't like climbing up a ladder and then helping other women up the ladder. She was just like, me, I want this power for me. And unfortunately, as it would turn out, is that a lot of the power that she had was based on like understandings and people assuming things, not actually having laws written or changed for her, which meant, spoiler, when it all started to come undone, like she didn't have any ground to stand on because it was all just kind of like through her force of will and personality, she like made some stuff change, but like the laws didn't actually change. So she had set herself up as kind of like, she was a wife and a mother, but she never ever presented herself like her mother had been or like Livia had been, who was just kind of like, I'm this good Roman woman who just like stays at home and loves being a wife and mother. And I'm like secretly scheming in the background. She was like scheming out loud in front of everybody. She presented herself as kind of like not traditionally feminine so she didn't present herself as a man but also not as a woman she was just kind of like i am basically a goddess and people acted like she was until one day um she started being treated like a woman and everything started to fall apart so the first major blow was she went in to join nero in a meeting with some foreign delegations um and nero she went to sit next to him um which was like even a, a bold move for her um, usually she should have sat like beside or like behind Claudius, but she wanted to sit right next to Nero and Nero basically stopped her um, and made her and walked her over to a different seat further away from him. So that was like humiliating her in front of this foreign delegation and everybody else. And it was like through body language, a major statement about her loss of power. Um, Nero fell in love with a woman named Acte and Agrippina wasn't a fan of the relationship and they had a big fight about it. And Nero is sort of uh, sort of a fuck you to her, sent her a gift of some jewels and a new dress, um, which was kind of like his way of saying like, hey, you're just a woman. Here are some woman things. Mind your own business. And especially because Agrippina wasn't a person who was ever interested in like dresses or jewels or being flashy or luxury things. So apparently in response... She said something like, I gave him the empire and he gave me a dress, which is like, ugh, put that on a poster. Sons suck. Um, I mean, 
sometimes sons suck. So he also, Nero um, brought in Lucosta again um, to help him murder his stepbrother slash cousin Britannicus, who was the son of Claudius, because he saw Nero saw Britannicus as a threat, as somebody who could maybe become emperor instead of him. Um, which is like, it's sort of a shitty thing Nero did, but also like everyone was killing everyone. It's not that different. But basically, he was just clearing the way for himself to have ultimate power, and part of that was he expelled Agrippina from the palace and made her go live elsewhere. Um, so they were just sort of back and forth fighting about a bunch of random things. Um, and one day, Agrippina basically went in, forced Dorian to talk to Nero, and we don't know what happened in this like closed door meeting. But at the end of this, they clearly reached some sort of understanding. Um, and based on how stable the government went after this, it seems like the agreement might have been Agrippina will just like secretly run things behind the scenes, but she won't make public appearances or let anyone know that she's doing that because the next sort of four years were okay for her. Um, Nero started, he put on plays, made everybody listen to him sing, uh, made everybody clap for him and was just sort of like little baby Caligula tyrant type person. Um, Nero fell in love with a woman named Poppea Sabina, who has her own interesting story we can talk about another day. But basically, at around the same time he got involved with her, um, Nero decided it was time to murder his mother. So some of the rumors are that Poppea was jealous of Agrippina because of, like, incest reasons, but also maybe she just kind of saw how smart Agrippina was. Or maybe Poppea didn't give a shit. We don't know. But basically, Nero started hanging out with this woman named Poppea, and around the same time, he decided to try and kill his mother. So, a couple things. So, Agrippina was friends with Locosta and knew about poisons herself. And so, just like that guy in Princess Bride, she, it turns out, she had been secretly um, dosing herself with small amounts of poison for a really long time just to make herself, like, immune to all of them. So apparently Nero tried to poison her, but it didn't work because she was immune to all poisons, which is just kind of like, love that for her. Um, Nero knew that he couldn't just send in the army to stab her because she was still, still so popular as the daughter of Germanicus. Um, and Germanicus had been this great army leader, and so the army may not listen to those orders and do that. So Nero, who was also just like huge drama queen, literally drama queen he had seen a play that had a prop boat with like a false floor in it and he was like what if we build an actual version of that boat with a like trap door in it get Agrippina on the boat and then she like drowns because the boat trap door opens when she's like in open water which is a ridiculous plan but it's in every source and so it seems to be like this is what he wanted to do so he invited his mother to come and visit him um, at a villa that he had to take a boat to get to. Agrippina was like, I see what you're up to. And she refused to take his offer of a boat. Instead, took her own boat up to meet him. Um, they had dinner together. And somehow, Nero, I guess, using his like acting skills, pretended like he didn't want to kill her to the point that at the end of the dinner, she agreed to take his special boat back home. Um, as per the plan, part of the boat collapsed when they were in the middle of the water and the ship started to sink. Um, but this is where Agrippina, being a great swimmer, um, pays off and she's able to swim back to shore, basically. Um, she arrived back at the villa. People applauded because they were like, oh my god, Agrippina, our beloved Agrippina almost died, but she didn't look at her. She's an amazing swimmer. We love her so much. The daughter of Germanicus. Um, 
so she had a messenger send a message back to Nero saying that she was still alive. Um, did she know that he had tried to kill her? I mean, probably at this point. But she, so the note was just basically like, guess what? Foiled you again. Um, people were just like weeping and praying all around her house. Like, again, I just, the only comparison I can think of from contemporary anything is like Princess Diana's death. Like, people were just so grateful that she hadn't died. But what happened is that later that night when she was in bed, soldiers came marching up um, and they had sort of fake charges from Nero. So Nero claimed Agrippina had tried to kill him um, and the soldiers came in to murder her, basically. She tried to talk them out of it. She tried to talk them out of it, but they were having none of that. And basically her final act is that she flung open her robe to reveal her womb, um, saying, like, stab me here, like, if you're really from my son. And then they did. And then she died aged 44. So Agrippina, she achieved more individual power than any Roman woman before her. And no other Roman woman would for basically another hundred years when the third century Syrian matriarchy came along. Um, these were three Roman noble women who wound up being able to, who were pretty awesome people themselves. They were called Julia Domna, Julia Soamias, and Julia Mamea. And they wound up having, getting similar levels of power. But basically, Agrippina was kind of it for a while. Um, shortly after she died, um, and that's the story of Agrippina. So again, I just want to shout out my main source of information about this. The reason I even started learning about Agrippina was because I read this biography, which is amazing. Um, so it's the biography of Agrippina by Emma Southen, um, which I recommend heartily. Um, you can read it as a book. You can also read it on audible.com, um, which is my little sponsor. So if you go to audibletrial.com slash vulgar history, you can look up, uh, you can get your free trial and maybe your free trial could be reading Emma Southern's biography of Agrippina, which I read as an audiobook and which is really fun to read in that way. I actually read it as an audiobook slash as a book book. I was kind of bouncing back and forth. It's really, really good. Um, and now it is time. <clears throat> and now it is time for us to score her. So there's four, four metrics that we score people on for vulgar history. And the first is scandaliciousness. So there's a number of things here for scandal, for Agrippina. We've got the, um, just her whole family situation. That's not her specifically, but she's growing up in this wild family situation. We've got the marrying her uncle. We've got the maybe poisoning her husband to death. We've got the maybe poisoning her uncle husband to death. We've got the maybe killing of other people. Like, the liciousness of her scandals, I think, is quite high. I'm going to give her, I think, a nine. The next category is scheminess. <clears throat> and this is like flat out 10. Like she, she schemed, like she schemed behind the scenes. Then when she got more power, she was scheming out in public by like making things like the new rules so she could hide behind the curtain and listen into the Senate. Like she was, I feel like even in her sleep, she was scheming just like so much so much scheming. The next measure is significance. And this is tricky because she was very significant in her time. She herself didn't really pave the way for other people. So she didn't really in that sense, but also, <clears throat> but also in terms of the significance of because of her, basically, um, her, 
She's the reason why Nero became the emperor. He wasn't a good emperor. Um, in fact, I believe he was the last emperor of the Julio-Claudian dynasty. But the fact that she was basically instrumental in making her son be emperor is pretty significant. This is tricky. I think I'm going to give her, mm, I feel like a six. A six for significance. And the final category is sexism. Um, this is where the bonus, basically. How much, how much more could she have achieved if she was a man? Like, how much did her gender affect what she did in life? And I mean, in every conceivable way, really. Um, <clears throat> she would have been a great emperor if a woman could be an emperor, but she couldn't be an emperor. But she kind of didn't let that stop her. But then it kind of did her in at the end. It's tricky for her with the sexism. She achieved a lot in spite of sexism. So it's not like sexism held her back. Oh, it's tricky. I'm going to give her a six. A six for sexism. So that's 31. That is Agrippina takes the lead. I mean, not that it's a contest, but just in terms of like who scores the highest on these four metrics. Um, she's the first over 31. So last week we did Cleopatra. She was 28. From season one, Elizabeth Bathory was 29, but Agrippina, 31. Kind of proud of her. Um, and so that's Agrippina the Younger. My God. Okay, so just a couple of things to say to wrap things up. So again, um, if you want to support the show and also listen to a cool book, if you go to audibletrial.com slash vulgarhistory, sign up for a trial with Audible um, and some of that that helps support us financially a little bit. And Emma Southen's biography of Agrippina is a book that I think would be a great, a great choice to listen to. Um, you can also, if you want to just straight up support me and this podcast and the other writing I'm doing, um, patreon.com slash Writer, And you can find us on Instagram at Vulgar History Pod, Twitter at Vulgar History. And thank you so much for listening in oh and i mentioned it before but i'll mention it again so if you do go on the patreon i do have a spin-off podcast there that's patreon only so this asshole which is where i look at the stories of some of the men who happen to be involved in the lives of the women that we talk about on vulgar history um there's as of the time of this recording there's two episodes up there and i think more i feel like i feel like caligula and possibly nero also maybe even claudius like they could each have their own little episode of that as well but anyway thank you so much for listening and i will talk to you all next time what does feminism mean to you during Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.